every single day learning more and more of what I don't know. Um, and I feel like that's what science really is. It's like the pursuit of truth. But every time we feel like we have such a grasp on a topic, some new study comes out and is like, actually, no, like, take a look at this. That's Marjan Kusha Johnson. And this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Marjan Kusha Johnson is a good friend of mine and is currently a third-year medical student. We recorded this episode just as the pandemic outbreak in the U.S. was starting and before quarantine restrictions went into place. On this episode, we talk about the realities of being in medical school, where you can find the facts regarding medical research, huge for everyone wanting the truth about COVID-19 right now. And we get into how she stays balanced with the intensities of medical school, family, and friends. Plus, we talk about the beauty and depth of the Persian culture. All that and so much more coming up, but first. If you're interested in discovering what possibilities and businesses are available for you to create and to live your most fulfilling life, please visit thepowerfulladies.com forward slash coaching and sign up for a free coaching consultation with me. There is no reason to wait another day to not be living your best life when you instead could be running at full speed towards your wildest dreams today. Well, I am very excited to have you here today. I'm very excited to be here today. Awesome. Let's begin. um, Let people know who you are and what you're up to. Okay, so my name is Marjan, and what I'm up to right now is I'm on. I'm in my third year of medical school, and I'm actually taking a research year to do some dermatology research next year, and then finishing up med school the year after that. So med school is, of course, very daunting. Yes. Both for people choosing to take that path and then once you're in it. Oh, yes. How did you decide to go to medical school? So that's a really good question. Um, so I started out uh, in graduate school. I had pretty much decided, like, I'm going to go for the PhD. I'd be teaching at an R1 university and, like, doing the professor thing and doing the research thing. What does R1 mean? So it's basically a university that focuses very heavily on research. Okay. Um, so the professors that are there are both involved in research and involved in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, UC Irvine would be a perfect example. So I went to UC Irvine for grad school as well as undergrad, and I was like, this is the path I'm taking. This is going to be great. And then sort of amidst being in graduate school, I was like, oh, gosh, like, I really feel like I'm meant to do something more clinical. Like, this is so great. And science is interesting. But I feel like that human aspect of it, human interaction aspect of it was really missing for me. So midway through graduate school, I was like, I went up to my advisor and I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I think I want to go to medical school. And, and he was like, you have my blessing. I feel like you'd be a great clinician and let's get you out of here with a master's degree and let's do this thing. So, yeah. And what were you studying in grad school? So I was studying genomics. So looking at like population evolution, um, different things like that. My, my primary project was going to be on the effects of hybrid vigor, which is basically like, if you were to take, like, if I were to really dumb it down, it would be like a, 
like a mule, right? So basically taking two different species, breeding them together, and then producing like a species that would be superior to either of those two. Um, and so I'd be doing that with fruit flies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was going to be like the real content of my PhD project. But I basically had piloted a few projects. And then that, at that point, I was like, okay, I think I want to go to medical school. So yeah, it was, it was cool. It was a lot on population evolution and um, a lot on a fitness and uh, different parameters that it's kind of hard to explain, but, but it was quite interesting at the time. It sounds like you were essentially studying how to make a super species. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely one way to look at it. Yes, absolutely. So why, assuming you don't have, you know, take over the world, evil mastermind plan, what is the benefit of studying a super species and trying to figure out how to create one? So it wasn't so much like that there'd be some huge benefit. I think we were looking to... See, so what we were looking at was b- before I started this this project, um, essentially I had taken over the work of somebody that had gone back to Portugal to finish her PhD in Portugal. And what she was doing was taking the top 10% of a population of fruit flies and then breeding those and f- founding a next generation, next generation. So what you're doing is basically you're taking the fittest of the fit, yep. right? And you're artificially selecting them for those genes, for the subsequent generations to have those genes. Like accelerated Darwinism. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so for me, I was going to take a different angle on it. Like, let's see, is this actually a valid, is this actually a valid thought? Like, could we potentially, you know, cross two species and, and see what happens, see if they do produce a superior um, offspring? Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really get to find out the answer to that question. So it wasn't that we were looking largely for any kind of like overarching benefit in this, you know, mm-hmm. but other than to see is this, you know, can we reproduce this on a larger scale? Yep. And starting with fruit flies, what would you have bred them with if you... I don't know, are you jumping to like, all right, fruit fly and a bee. That sounds crazy, right? So, okay, that's a really good question. So they were the same. Um, so they were both Drosophila melanogaster, but they had been apart for so long. Like they mm. had been kept apart from each other for so long that they developed certain genetics, certain traits that each other may not have had. And so what we did was this kind of cute. You like dye their little their little bottoms with different colors and you know that they're not from the same vial essentially. So they have been apart for several generations, several years. Mm-hmm. And then we would have them mate and then produce offspring that way. So I've heard of something similar in the wild of like squirrels on opposite sides of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, like there's exactly. Like one that's red and one that's yes, brown. And yes. like they can't actually they don't normally breed together yes, anymore yes. and they're truly different yes species yes, exactly yeah okay awesome. i have heard of that too yeah so when you thought about okay teaching's not my you know being a researcher and a teacher isn't my path i really want to be working with humans mm-hmm. and providing my knowledge to them mm-hmm. there's so many ways to do that so what made you think i need to be a medical doctor so it's funny because I I had been like when I was in undergrad at UCI I thought so much about it and I was like gosh like how can I make the biggest possible impact mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it was my own self doubt as to whether I was good enough for medical school like just realizing the level of competition the, the the rigor of the actual process itself the rigor of the curriculum and then coming out like you know all intact on the other side. Like I really, really had to grapple with that for quite some time. And I'm so glad that I did because I entered med school when I was 26 and I had so much knowledge to that point. And I had, I matured in such a way that I wouldn't have if I would have just went from UC Irvine Mm -hmm. to medical school. So I think that 
when I was in grad school, I was sort of also like torn because I was like, okay, clinician or be a researcher, professor, both are great lives. And you can, you know, you can just, you can have a fabulous lifestyle with with either path. But being in the hospital, I'd spent quite a amount of time in the hospital uh, at the UC Irvine Medical Center. Um, And I just realized like that level of interaction that I was having with patients, even on a very, very limited basis, because we weren't allowed to do very much, you know, as Mm -hmm. volunteers or as sort of interns. Um, And I really wanted to be a part of that in a way that I felt I couldn't quite achieve if I were to be in research and to be a professor. And yes, I'd get to work with a lot of students, but I wouldn't see the impact directly necessarily. Yeah. Or I'd see more of an impact like when I was dealing one-on-one with a patient and Mm -hmm. I was able to help them in a way that like I'd see the return right away. Yeah. The different level of producing results. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So then you started med school. Yep. And what was year one? Mm Mm-hmm. What was reality like in med school? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, I mean, you and I had talked so much about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, even leading up to it. Um, year one was, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. Um, I went in kind of knowing. I think I went in a little bit. Le- I underestimated medical school, especially the first and second years, the preclinical years. Um, and it felt like, it was funny. The first day I went in, um, one of the professors was like, so medical school is going to be like drinking water from a fire hose all the time. And she gave us a really interesting analogy. She said, every day you're going to have eight pancakes to eat. And it doesn't seem like a lot. I mean, it's a decent, a sizable amount of eight pancakes. But, you know, if you were to eat them every single day, then you'd be okay. You'd get through it. But let's say you didn't eat pancake, your eight pancakes for one day. Then the next day you'd have 16 pancakes. And then the next day you'd have even more. And the following day, like you'd have so many pancakes, you wouldn't know how to like handle it. And she was absolutely right. It sort of felt like you were always trying to just barely make it during the first year. So it was kind of a slap in the face, I will say. Um, and I didn't, there were so many periods of time where I didn't feel like I'd get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow I got through it. Like I couldn't tell you this was the formulaic way in which I did that. But at the end of the day, I was like, oh, okay, I passed that class, moving on to the next one. Like, so it was, there was a lot of that going on during that time. And as your friend, seeing you go through um, so many changes with yourself and like your relationship to yourself and your relationship to time and your relationship to being social, like there'd be moments you're like, I love what I'm doing. And the next day you'd be like, why am I doing this? Mm. <laughs> like, what is happening? And you know, the pressure that you've put on yourself to achieve and like to make medical school work. And just like anyone, I think taking on like a new thing, Mm -hmm. whether it's medical school or a new business or you name it, like you don't realize how much of your whole lifestyle is going to be upended. Mm -hmm. And even if you want to approach it with a, you know, balanced style, Mm -hmm. You instantly see how you're like, oh, um, I thought I was going to be on a cruise ship. I'm actually on a life raft. Yes. So, okay, I can only keep three things. And the three things I'm keeping, and you know, speaking from your perspective, be like, I'm keeping my husband. I'm keeping school. Mm-hmm. And I'm keeping something I'll figure out each day. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> so being someone who's so used to... Um, like you're very much into wellness and being centered. How did you, how did you, or how didn't you handle the fact that suddenly you couldn't make it all work all the time in the short 
like while you're dedicated to med school? Yeah. So that your all your questions are so good, Kara, because I feel like there was a period of time where you and I had spoken and you told me that, you know, like what's going on with the clothes you've been wearing lately? Like, you know, and I was like, what has been going on? Like, I felt like I was in such a daze like, mm-hmm. and I wasn't happy for the first two years. A lot of the time I felt like I was surviving. And so just like you said, like, here's my three non-negotiable things. Mm-hmm. I think my only non-negotiable thing at the time was like my relationship with my family and my husband. Mm -hmm. And that was essentially it. And my relationship with school and everything else. Like we were, I always felt like I was wearing blinders the entire time because over the course of two years of med school, I gained 20 pounds. I was pretty miserable after that. Um, And so it felt like while I was like, okay, yoga, okay, I'm going to go for a run. Okay. But it was like, I was I was sort of like eating to feel okay and studying all the time, not really moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to kind of fall into this place of, well, maybe I'll just settle for like getting six hours of sleep at night. Like that could be okay, you know? And then I feel like I emerged from the other side. I think it was like the end of my first year and was like, no, like this is not, clearly this isn't working for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was able to kind of cut back on the amount of time I was putting into school and instead putting my time into like seeing my friends, seeing you guys coming out a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it helped my spirit so much so that I felt like it ended up being better for my performance in school and my happiness overall because so much of every, everything was really put on hold. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd at least say during the first six months. Well, when we put so much pressure on ourselves to focus on the amount of work or pancakes that we need to eat, right, that right. we've been given as our to-do list. Right. And when you never give yourselves a break from doing, 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 like you literally have run out of capacity. Yes. And we we think, like our, our first reaction is, I'll just do more instead of I need to stop. Mm. And it's it can be so like, no, 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 but I can just do one more thing before I go to bed. Or, yeah. And I catch myself even going to those cycles myself, and I always pay for it. Yeah. Always. So I probably need like an alert on my phone or a post-it or something that's like, just says, no, stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's so funny you say that because I read a quote that was like, it landed, it landed with me. It was like, know when to rest or know when to rest, not to quit or something like that. It, it was, it was really profound. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so I'm missing peace in my life. I don't have yeah. to necessarily end what I'm doing right now, but I have to kind of take a step back and reevaluate. Yes. And, and I think so many people do associate not being in motion with quitting yeah. when it really is just a, a pause. Yeah. Like you can prep, press pause yeah. and come back. Yeah. And that pause could be five minutes, an hour, two days, you know, two weeks of vacation or two years if you decide that you're like, nope, I needed a full two years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you're at a stage in, well, perhaps this part is closed, like moved on. But like the last time we t- we touched base, you were going through the phases of your rotations, which I think is awesome because then you get to like really be in the stuff you've been talking about. Yes. What was that experience like and what did you learn in the different phases and then overall that's, you know, kind of helping you choose what's next for you? So the biggest thing I think I took away from rotations was narrowing down what I would want to do as a doctor. 
um, because you you get a little glimpse uh, once a month. Uh, well, not once a month. Every month you switch rotations, so you get to see different um, specialties and you know different environments, right? Like the hospital environment versus the clinic environment. And I think what I've really discovered is, okay, this could be an area that could really work for me, or this is absolutely not a very good fit for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, like I was in the hospital on a rotation in internal medicine. And, and while internal medicine was was really riveting and challenging and required a lot of critical thinking, and it was amazing, I couldn't deal with the hours. Like I was mm-hmm. like, gosh, I am so in need of my nightly ritual and having to stay up all night and work just wasn't something that like I was built to do which is Um, what you would do if you were in the ER for example exactly you Mm -hmm. would there would be the lifestyle is very different and for me like looking at myself and what I'm up to in life it wasn't aligning with the lifestyle that I wanted Mm -hmm. um and so there were so many specialties where I thought oh my gosh I'm totally gonna love this and I went into it and was like, wow, I really didn't expect that this was this is what it actually looks like, the day-to-day of it. Okay, maybe I need to be open to other things. Like, for example, I, I came into psychiatry like absolutely not, no, like, no, I don't want to do this. And after two weeks in it, I'm like, this is amazing, you know, like, this is so novel, like, we're missing this, you know, and, and I could really make an impact here. Like, maybe I should explore this. And, you know, my husband and I were joking about it because he's like, wait, psych really like that was the one thing you're like absolutely not you know Mm -hmm. but now that I've done it for two weeks I'm like it's profound it's really great work and I learned a lot I learned some simple things too like what we tell patients is like one of the most I think it's one of the most documented ways to prevent suicide or depression is to put on a good movie or to go on a walk simple Mm -hmm. totally simple and I've been trying to employ that more into my life not obviously for the suicide part of it, but because it's just a good practice. And I've noticed, okay, this is like, I need to take a walk. I don't want to take a walk. I'd rather get all this stuff done. But no, I'm going to go take a walk because I feel like I'll come back feeling refreshed and renewed. And um, so not only have I been able to glean a lot of, well, where would I really fit in as somebody that's a practicing physician? I've also been able to take away aspects of things that I've shared with patients and apply them to my life. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I just finished reading Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers. Okay. And they have a whole segment. The purpose of the book is really about coupling. How whatever you, we don't know people enough, so we put a lot of assumptions in because it helps us kind of filter things out, engage from a purely survival perspective. But he has a chapter about um, suicide Mm. and how people think that if someone, the way to prevent suicide is to um, like change the entire conversation, where in actuality, when you look at the data, um, suicides are directly tied to having access Mm. to the type of um, mechanism people would use to commit it. Mm. So there's a huge drop in the UK, for example, when gas stoves switched from um, using the kind that you could like put your head in the stove to not not doing anything. So instantly... Like all the the suicide rate dropped because people wow. no longer had easy access to, um, you know, basically an opportunity right. to commit it. Right. And especially for women, where they usually choose less violent paths. Yes. Like it, it like fell off. It's like the lowest. It's never gone up to that level again in the UK. Right. And so they were talking about how removing the opportunity to the potential common path as a way to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Same with the, um, like, putting the nets on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. People thought, oh, they'll just go and do it a different way. Yeah. And it's like, actually, the studies show that they don't. Yeah. 
Like most people have one path in mind and yes. if you stop it, yes. they'll just not do it. Yes. Which people don't expect and think like, oh, they would have done it anyway. And you're yes. like, actually, no. Yes. Like it's a, a specific place, thing, moment in time that in actuality we can impact. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. It's like so crazy. Completely different perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think it speaks to how many how much we like don't know we don't know about topics mm. and in the medical fields like how often does that come up is it more traditional or is it more do you see the innovation happening like you might in a physics department so <laughs> yeah so i feel like it's funny because i felt very much so this way in graduate school and i felt very much so this way in medical school in that I am just every single day learning more and more of what I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's what science really is. It's like the pursuit of truth. But every time we feel like we have such a grasp on a topic, some new study comes out and is like, actually, no, like, take a look at this. And which I think is, is, is frustrating, mm -hmm. you know, in, in some ways, because clearly we, we'd like an answer. We'd like yeah. something tangible, something black and white, but sometimes that's not the case at all. And I feel like with medicine, a part that's really, really important, especially to me, is I'm always having to check myself and ensure that I'm staying up to date with what's going on out there in the world and what information I can learn. And there, there really is no lid. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like sometimes doctors get in trouble because they feel as though they have all the information they need. Yes, they are the experts in their respective field, but their respective fields are evolving through time all the time, mm -hmm. you know? And um, as you, I didn't even know about the this book that you were speaking about and the findings of this book. And I'm actually not surprised because like I said, during my psychiatry rotation, there was so much I learned that I wasn't aware of mm -hmm. when I actually thought I really was. Um, so it's quite interesting. I think important things are to remain very curious mm -hmm. and to stay up to date with what's going on out there. Um, that's what they really encourage is physicians should really be like engaging in the literature, reading the journals, participating in research, and like being able to entertain ideas that they may have, you know, they, they may have to modify their own viewpoints on. And I think that's what's really beautiful about it all, right, is that it doesn't have to be the set thing, that we can make, you know, changes and steps in the right direction. And that's what kind of adds to the chaos and the, the wondrousness of it all. Um, but also that like, okay, just, you know, staying very much committed to learning more about a particular topic um, and 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 knowing that things are ever shifting. So at least that's been something else. You know, so I, I think I remember I spoke with one of my professors and was like, gosh, like, I just really feel like I don't know anything. You know, and he's like, you really don't know that much. I mean, you really don't know all that much. And that's a very good place to be in mm -hmm. order to learn. So... Yeah, to have that balance of these are the things I know yeah. that I can rely on most of the time. Yeah. And I need to remember to keep making sure I can still rely on them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think also sometimes that, you know, data comes with us in different forms, right? And obviously, there's all these hashtags about fake news and how people are getting information today. And I realized in some of my conversations lately that so many people may not have been taught how to get back to source information and how to read statistics and how to dive into some of the information that's being shared, right. no matter what the topic is. So obviously this is a um, formula that you know based on the, how you have to do your research. 
Like how, what should people be looking for if yeah. they are looking at whether it's about climate change or about uh, regular, like a journalism on a more of a, a political or pop culture topic all the way through to extreme science? Like what are the standards for evaluating a piece of information and knowing if it's legitimate to look at, work on, or incorporate. Right. So I think the biggest things are, so especially in like, you know, something like medicine where there's a lot of, there's a lot of hype right now around like coronavirus and around vaccinations and should we be doing it? Should we not? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of fear. Um, And I feel like a lot of misinformation, unfortunately, because it's very easy to follow the masses, but it's harder to go, you know, sort of digging. But if you actually like wanted to, to glean some really tangible information, it's out there and it's available to you. So I always recommend like people look on um, on resources like uh, PubMed's one of them and like JAMA, like medical journals that have been reviewed by people that are experts in their field and that really are credible sources instead of just Google searching something and then not even looking at the source and going and reading it. Or what was the latest thing? It was like people were seeing topics on Facebook on articles and reposting them without actually reading the article, mm-hmm. um, which was actually quite a shock to me because I, I would like go through and read the article like, wait, do you actually agree with this? Did you read it, you know, yeah. before you posted it? So I feel like just being curious and also formulating an opinion or a stance based on gathering a lot of information and being open to other people's views. So for example, on the topic of vaccinations, this was like a very big topic and it still is when I was in pediatrics. And one thing that I really learned that was important to do was to be open to what was going on with the patient, you know, or the patient's parent in most cases. Um, Because there was some concern and it was legitimate based on all the hype, right? And so it's just about listening to that party and going, okay, so I see where you're coming from and are you open to receiving the information I have to share with you based on like my medical knowledge, based on all this information that I can provide you with and then make an informed decision Mm -hmm. um, on that. So I feel like people respond to that so much more and it's so important for doctors and, you know, scientists and, and everybody else that, that represents a particular field uh, to be to be keeping up with that information and making sure that it's from credible sources. And so when people ask me, well, how, you know, how can I learn about, let's say, a particular disease? I'd say, go on like a medical site, like go on Medscape or go on UpToDate or go on maybe WebMD for some things. And mm-hmm. don't just search it on Wikipedia because who knows, like who knows what typed up, who typed up that information. It may not actually be all that true and then you're like perpetuating something. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, th- I think coming back to where did it come from? Who right. who wrote it? What are their qualifications? What would their point of view have been when they wrote it? Like, do they have an incentive? Mm-hmm. You know, like when you look at, especially in all the, um, the bajillion food documentaries that I'm obsessed with, yes. by the way, on Netflix and all the other streaming services, when you start seeing like, Who's putting out, who's paying for some research to be made or who's actually releasing it? And I mean, it becomes, you have to separate what's a marketing spin for someone's personal agenda versus what's just science. Mm -hmm. And they're very different. Mm -hmm. And as you, like so often science is contradictory because we can't see the connection yet. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating. It is. (laughs) It is. Especially in a culture that just wants black and white answers. Yeah. It's not, that's not really how humans or the universe work. Mm-mm. Uh, so where are you at now where, do you have an idea of like what uh, specialty you want to go into? 
Yeah, actually, I am excited because for so long there, I was kind of like cruising through rotations. Like, what do I want to do? Like, all these are great, but I just don't feel drawn to any one of them. Um, So at this moment in time, I am narrowed down to dermatology and psychiatry. Um, Both of those fields are fascinating. Both of those fields are wonderful and evolving. And I just feel so connected to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I have an affinity for for either of those fields. So I'm sort of wanting to gather as much information about them. Like I mentioned, I'm doing a year um, of research in dermatology next year between my third and fourth year, which will be really eye-opening for me. And I'm on my psychiatry rotation right now, hopefully able to add in another psychiatry rotation at a different hospital Mm -hmm. just to get more experience and sort of see, okay, could this be something I potentially incorporate into, you know, what I end up doing? Yeah. So I'm I'm down to those two, which I'm like, this is this is the best. I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't felt so clear, you know. And it's like late in my third year, I was like, okay, when is it going to happen? When am I going to feel like I know what I want to do? And so finally, like I think as of like a week ago, that's uh, that's where I'm at now. Very cool. Yeah. So both of those specialties are actually quite broad. even though you've narrowed it down from the huge array of what options are. Yes. So for people who don't know, what is the range of career paths or or specialties within those specialties Mm -hmm. that, you know, dermatology is not just, um, you know, someone, dermatology you don't see for acne, for example. Right. There's so much behind it. And same with uh, psychology. Right. So can you explain to everyone listening a little bit more about both of those areas of expertise. Yes, absolutely. So so with derm. So dermatology, there's there's what's interesting about dermatology is that it's very multifaceted, more than people might think it is, right? Because what they think of typically the average person thinks, okay, I'm gonna go see my dermatologist to treat some something that's going on with my skin. Mm-hmm. Be it a rash, be it acne, be it something like a growth that's that's just that they just recently noticed. Um, And what I like about it is that you get to do so many different things. So you can do procedures, right? So if somebody has a squamous cell carcinoma or basal cell carcinoma or God Mm -hmm. forbid, like a melanoma, you're able to do procedures and and take care of it. And um, and so sort of just just reap the benefit right there. Um, So in a way, it's sort of like a little mini surgery. You get Mm -hmm. to do that. Then there's like the there's the cosmetic side of it. Um, and then there's also, so there's the cosmetic side. So acne, right? Something that a lot of people deal with in their youth, in their adulthood. Um, and you get to, you know, help those people in dealing with their skin, feeling very confident in their skin, which is a mission that I really can appreciate because so much of like, I feel like how we identify is, is with our skin and how our skin's doing and I always tell people, I feel like your skin is a manifestation of like what's going on internally. Um, And so if I can help with that, even with incorporating like, well, what else can we do other than just applying, let's say, a cream for your acne? Like, can we look at your diet? Can we look Mm -hmm. at your hormone profile? Can we look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? How much sleep are you getting? How much water are you drinking? So you really can incorporate like a whole body approach there as well. And also, um, I've dealt with eczema my whole life. And it can really be one of those difficult things to deal with because it's something that doesn't really ever go away and it's kind of a nuisance and it's annoying and you you know you have a a spectrum of eczema you have really mild to really severe Mm -hmm. um same thing with like rosacea same thing with psoriasis same thing with all sorts of different like skin rashes and diseases and so I feel like I I have an understanding of it um with eczema in such a way that I could impact my patients and go okay it doesn't have to always be like this let's see what we can do let's you know we don't necessarily have to apply a steroid cream we can also look at what you're eating because that can impact the way that your skin is dealing with everything 
thing. Um, so skin, so derm is, there's a lot that can be done within derm. Mostly what I'm interested in is the outpatient. So if it's going to be like surgery, they would be outpatient as well as if it was going to be like um, cosmetic derm as well as medical derm- dermatology. What and does then, that mean? Sorry. Okay. What is cosmetic derm versus... Um, so there's there's surgical derm, mm-hmm. medical derm, and um, cosmetic derm. So cosmetic derm is more of like the what you think of with like cosmetic procedures. Like plastic that, surgery type thing? So plastic surgery would, I think, so I'd leave that more to the plastic surgeons, but like little procedures that can be done in clinic. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So if that's something that, that I could be a part of, I'd be interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. Then there's the, um, what did I say? Surgical derm. So mm-hmm. that would be like the most surgery. So removal of like cancers and things like yeah. that um, and screening for skin cancer. And, burn victims, uh, things like that. Burn victims. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. So, so burn victims are reconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at things like that. And then medical is like you're just dealing with rashes and, and different type of um, dermatological pathologies. and More everyday. More everyday. More outpatient coming in to see my doctor for something like a fungal, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you can do there, but it really is more of an outpatient thing, which I like. Mm-hmm. Right? I like the nine to five. I like that type of lifestyle. And some people crave the other kind where they're there the entire night. Um, so that's just, so that's something that I much prefer. And then with psych, psych's very nuanced. Um, I personally think I'd like the outpatient setting as well for psychiatry. I'm working right now in an inpatient setting, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating and wonderful. And you do get to see a direct impact right away, right? Because your patients are only there for a limited amount of time and then you release them. You don't get to do much Mm follow-up. So for me, the follow-up is really where it's at. So while I really like inpatient, I was thinking, well, if I do end up going into psychiatry, then I'd want to do inpatient and outpatient. So inpatient is just stabilization, and then outpatient is, okay, let's let's really think about long-term the changes that we can incorporate. And, a life um, plan. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of research behind certain psychiatric um, conditions that are better treated with, let's say, therapy uh, than they are medications. People don't know that. People think they go to their psychiatrist and immediately they'll be given a whole host of different medications. And I've come to realize that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Or there can be some that are treated exclusively with medications, or there can be some that are treated with both. So like I said, it's very nuanced and very interesting and also evolving and all the psychiatric and psychological journals out there are like something that I'd want to delve into further to see what's going on other parts of the world and how we can integrate that here. Well, I think it's such an important topic because how people are doing mentally Mm -hmm. and emotionally Mm -hmm. impacts the rest of society and culture at such a huge magnitude. And I feel like until recently, it wasn't dealt with at all. No. Like, past 50, 60 years. Like I'm thinking about the first time like in pop culture, people kind of talk about it in a, um, like a medical procedure versus a, a fixed way of being. Right. And if it occurs to me, and this could be totally wrong because I haven't studied it, but it occurs to me that it's around like the 1950s, 60s when like a switch happened. Yeah. Like, you know, before that you would have just been like put in a corner and classified and like kept separate. Yeah. And then suddenly it started changing into... Well, actually, everyone has probably some degree of support they need, whether permanently or at different seasons in their life. And I think it's such an interesting field of conversation and science to see how it's how it's changing. Yeah. And so often it's the only thing that can be fixed or solved to really fix and solve another problem yes. we have as a culture. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, how are – is there um, – 
an encouragement. Like I feel like when there's a teacher shortage or like more students show up, people are like, all right, quick, everyone should be teachers. Here's incentives, go and do it. Do you see an incentive program for more people to get into like mental health mm-hmm. or is it still like, is it really not being hyped up, I guess, within the medical school community? So psych is actually very, very competitive, um, which I also wasn't fully aware of until I entered med school. Um, the culture is shifting a lot because I feel we're, we're really realizing the need for good psychiatrists, for good, I mean, the thing is, with with any area of medicine, it takes a team. So it's not just the physician; it's the nurse, it's the therapist, it's whoever else is involved down the chain, as well as the patient's family, as well as their friends, as well as their community at large. So it's like a whole group of different people that are involved um, in any given scenario. And with psych, it's become one of those fields that is so coveted because we're shifting, we're realizing there needs to be more of an emphasis on mental health, and it's different, right, across cultures, like the way that. We we view mental health here in the United States may not be the same way as it's viewed in Asia. It's Mm -hmm. not the same as it's viewed in Europe. And what I find interesting is learning about that Mm -hmm. um, and the nuances within cultures and how we can weave that into how we treat patients here. Um, So, yeah, I think that whereas when I came into med school, I was like, I don't know how how many people really want to go into psychiatry, but I've realized that there's a lot of people that are leaning towards entering that specialty because they realize, one, there's a great need for it. A lot of psychiatrists are very happy people, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I also didn't know. I figured, well, you're dealing with very heavy topics on a daily basis. You must be so burnt out. But no, it's it's actually not the case at all. They they report that they're very happy. Um, And And they have all the tools to be the happiest as possible. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And there's such good care around taking care of psychiatrists, around taking care of psychologists, around like making sure your wellness is also addressed as a provider. So I feel like that's also essential. And that's Mm -hmm. something we're really working, working on doing. We... Last week, we just had like a, uh, a meeting about how, how's it been going for you two weeks into your rotation? Like, what are some things you've really learned? What are some things that you want to talk about and hash out and not take home with you? And I was like, gosh, like, we need to do this with everything. You know, every profession needs to yes. have something like this where we get to purge all that stuff that we've built up. Um, so I really liked that. Something I really wish was integrated into more more fields outside of in and outside of medicine. But it was it was something I really resonated with and... I think that's why people are like, huh, maybe I should go down this road. Like, it seems like it could be a pretty good life. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I was shocked when we had uh, Dr. Brooke Butler on, who's Mm -hmm. the vet, about that female vets have some, like, a extremely high suicide rate versus other professions. Wow. Because of having to always be making hard choices in an environment where you have two clients, essentially, the pet and the owners, and you are in a field that like most common people don't have knowledge of mm. in depth. Mm-hmm. And there's always, especially emergency room vets. Yes. And I think like how great would it be if they did have, even before they left for the day, like an opportunity to just like get complete before they go home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so underrated, but so profound and important. And I feel like it needs to be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you spoke about how um, medicine and mental health is viewed differently around the world. And you are a classic example of an immigrant family mm. and the offspring going into very high um, caliber professional fields. Was that um, maybe tell your story of how you ended up here in California and your family? And then 
I'd also be curious if you always, if there was a pressure to go into the classic um, fields of medicine or, you know, be a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer, like, did you have that pressure? Or did you just get here kind of on your own? Okay. So um, I love talking about this because I feel like I feel like with anyone, I always tell people if they're like, I'm interested in going into medicine, I always tell people it's such a great field and don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But like, if I could do it over again, I would and don't do it. I'm just kidding. Um, But the reality is that, yes, there is a very big cultural push um, into entering, I guess, certain certain careers that are like more status it sort of fulfills a certain status role, I guess, that that particular culture wants to uphold. And for Persians, it's very much like doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, like mm-hmm. we really want these these heavy-duty titles. Um, and they don't really know exactly why that is. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that end up going into medicine or into, you know, law or into engineering, and they're not necessarily happy at the end of the day. And I absolutely didn't want that to be the case for me. Um, I ended up, like I said, I went to grad school and then I taught at uh, at a junior college after that and then I was like okay I feel like it's 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 a good choice for me now to go into medicine like I've, I've exhausted all my other options and they didn't work for me as well you tried to avoid it and there was no hope I did I so hard I tried so I mean my mother keeps telling me like you try you know you just always wanted to do this and I wanted to be darn certain that it was something I wanted to do and so that's something that I really encourage with people is that it's the most incredibly rewarding field and I'm biased obviously but but it is it is it's a very big commitment and people should know that going into it that it's not sunshine and, and daisies it's very very challenging in a lot of different ways both personally and in terms of the actual curriculum and the education itself um, but in terms of like how I ended up here so my parents grew up in Iran and they spent their youth pretty much in Iran until their late teenage years. My dad moved to Scotland, or England and Scotland, went to University of Aberdeen, earned his PhD or his undergraduate degree at University of Aberdeen, came to the United States, um, and then like sort of was doing a back and forth thing between the US and the UK, and met my mother in London, who had also gone from Iran to England and was working separately. at the BBC. Separately. Like they had, no, they had no knowledge of each other until they'd met. So then they got married in England and they had me and then I spent six years of my life in in the UK in London and then my dad got relocated to the United States. So then we basically moved over here and, um, you know, they had my brother who's seven years younger than me and he grew up here. He didn't spend much time in England at all. Um, So, yeah, we've gone back. We've gone back for for visits many, many times. Um, And is back the UK or back Iran? Both, Mm -hmm. both. So we try to go to both because... The UK is pretty much in between here and Iran. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to just get to, to make a stop there and sort of see people and just be back in that environment um, and then go over to Iran to see the rest of my family. But but they're all pretty much there. I mean, it's me. I've got, I've got some family here and there in the United States and my immediate family, and then everybody else is pretty much in Iran right now. So, so yeah. What was it like for you being a young girl going from London to Southern California? I hated it. It was so, (laughs) oh my gosh. I remember coming home crying all the time. Like I had a very thick British accent and my, I would cry and I'd tell my mother, like, they don't understand what I'm saying. Like they just keep asking for me to repeat things and I don't like it here. And I didn't like that we don't wear uniforms. That was like, 
it, you wouldn't think it's such a big deal, but for me, it was like, this is how I identify. I wear uniforms when I go to school. And um, and I think the accent thing was the hardest thing for me. And like acclimating as a six-year-old, I had mm-hmm. all my friends in the UK. and mm-hmm. So I had a tough time, for sure. I had a very tough time. But I feel like I had an easier time as someone who spoke English mm-hmm. than someone who, let's say, came straight from Iran to mm-hmm. England or came straight from Iran to the United States later mm-hmm. in life even. Yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite things of of being Persian? So I think absolutely the food. Yeah. Um, I love that our culture is so warm and loving and close-knit. Um, I love the the music, the music, the poetry, the history. Um, if you it's my, so amazing. Yeah. Yes. There's so much. There's so much I still don't know about, mm-hmm. like, Persia and then, you know, how Iran came to be. So it's fascinating. Um, and there's a very large community of Persians here in California. So that's kind of nice, um, especially in Los Angeles, actually, especially yeah. here in, in L.A. Shaws of Sunset. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I haven't actually seen that show, but I've heard a lot of good things. Not some good— not Yeah, I don't think things. I'd recommend it. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's I fair. I think that there are—, are higher caliber humans yeah. that I would have picked instead to yeah. maybe represent the Persian culture. Yes, yes. It's like how my mother is very upset about Jersey Shore being yes. a New Jersey native. Yes. Like she is very irritated about the representation that she's been given. Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I, I think the the history of Iran and Persia is so fascinating because so many things came from that part of the world. And it doesn't surprise me, actually, that there's a push for engineering and medicine and um, legal practice because so much of modern civilization's foundations in all of those and math and science came from Persia. Right. And and we don't talk about it enough today. Like, there isn't enough, in my opinion, in the U.S. in particular, enough respect given for what that area of the world contributed right. to everything else. Right. Like, and it's, it breaks my heart when, like, you see a scene where, like, a an ancient, um, not location, but, um, a, like, a, when they destroy parts yeah. of the archaeological history. Yeah. Because yeah. not only is it getting destroyed for, like, the people who are still in these countries, but it's being destroyed for the rest of humanity that has so much to gain from it. Right. And yeah, I'm just, it's, it's heartbreaking because it's like anyone else that falls into a stereotype. It's unfair and it's so subjective and it's so inaccurate. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have you had to personally deal with, with discrimination based on your background? That's so funny you ask because I was talking with someone the other day about this. I've actually never encountered that, which I know I'm very lucky. Um, that's never happened to me. I don't know if people don't assume that I'm Persian or I don't know if it's different for males that are Persian or just the, the way I am. I'm, I hopefully come across as a very non-threatening person. And like, but I, I, I've heard stories of, of other people mm-hmm. and the discrimination that they face, not so much in California or like the Orange County environment, because like I said, there's just so many Persians here. I feel Mm -hmm. like we're used to it, Um, but in other parts of the United States. And I think what really gets me is that there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot that people don't know about Iran, even modern day Iran. Um, 
And when I ask people, like, you know, what do you know? They go, well, it seems like, isn't it just like a desert? And just sort of, I envision like hills of sand. And I was like, oh, no. You know, it's like, it's definitely not that way at all. Like, it's very modernized and lovely. In fact, I recommend going. And um, so, I, you know, and I, and I feel like in Europe, there's more, people are much more mm-hmm. open and maybe knowledgeable about Iran and, and other parts of the world. And I think it is that they just have more exposure or they just look into it more because they're more willing to travel or at least they have an understanding and insight Mm -hmm. beyond just what's depicted because what's depicted is absolutely not the way that it is. Um, So I get really sad about that. You know, that I have friends who don't even know that Farsi is the, is the language of Iran. Um, And that, you know, that certain beliefs that they might have aren't, aren't in fact valid. Mm -hmm. Could we look into that a little bit further, do a tiny bit more research? Yes, but like, why isn't that happening so much here? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that I um, I haven't personally struggled with the discrimination, but I've I've heard about it and it makes me sad yeah. to know that because there's just so much good that's come from from Iran, that part of the world in general, and mm-hmm. the people are so lovely and they love Americans and. Myself included, I absolutely identify as an American, and I wish more people would go over and see what it's all about in the Middle East because it's quite lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't surprise me that um, you aren't discriminated against because you're American. Yeah. Like, we have this idea that people who are immigrants are yeah. something else first, and it's like, uh, no. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm a resident of California, and I'm American, yep. and like, what? why is this a surprise? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I just also like watching all the the videos you show of everyone dancing and singing, having like the most amazing party ever. Like yes. when you send the text about Persian New Year, I was like, yes, yes, we are clearing our calendar yes. and we are so going to this because it's going to be so fun. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. My husband has such a good time. He just loves it. He <laughs> loves it. He's like, I'm dancing. I'm like, okay, you go do that. I'll be over here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you think about like where you've, how you've, um, gone from a small girl in the UK to now here in California and going to medical school, uh, recently married, um, when you look back at like how you have evolved, like who are the women and men who have supported you in becoming the powerful lady that you are today? So, um, wow. Yeah. It's funny to like think about them because like so many people just popped into my head. There's been so many people along the way and so many more than I can even count. I mean, it could be so much as just like making a small comment about something that they observed about me that's like made a huge impact. And I feel like people don't realize the things they say can carry so much weight and really make someone's day and be the reason they do something. Um so I definitely would say my 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 parents and my brother have been a very, very solid support system that have definitely been there for me through just my entire life, as well as like this deciding to go down the road of medicine, because I think that maybe they were in some ways much more in touch with reality about how difficult it would be. Um, so, and they've just really been there for me and had my back on days where I wanted to turn my back to medicine and just go, okay, you know what? I'm doing something that's a lot simpler than this. And I've had many, many of those days. Um, and I think a lot of people have that have been in this field and in other fields. Um, and I definitely would say my husband has been a huge support. I mean, 
I told him, I think it was like a month ago or something. I said to him, hey, so I know you were thinking I was going to be done with school next year, but it looks like I won't be. What are your thoughts on that? You know, <laughs> and he was just like, are you serious? Um, because he, you know, he's really, he's really had to deal with the ups and the downs and they, they, they there's been an abundance of them. Um, and of course, the financial aspect of it, it's, it's a big commitment. There's a, it's just a commitment in, in, in every aspect you can think of. And he's just been like, hey, if you want to do a research year, I absolutely 100% support you and I have your back and I really appreciate him. And um, friends, just like, just just our group of friends. Like, I feel like we're very lucky that mm-hmm. we have such a great group of friends. Like, I have you and what you're up to. I feel like that's really been a huge support for me. And I just feel so lucky because I feel like the women in my life are up to such amazing things. And they're just continuing to do more and more amazing things on a daily basis. So it's hard not to go, okay, like, look, look at her. She's like such a badass. I want to be just like her. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm launching myself into that same viewpoint because I've got this person that I can emulate. And it's not about perfection. Mm -hmm. It's about, okay, I know that they're going through a tough time too, potentially. And I know that they've, they've come up against some things, but they're still doing it. They're still doing the thing. Yeah. And so I think that's really been what's, um, what's really been like the backbone of going down this road and like continuing to want to plow through and make a difference in the lives of people, you know, in my career and outside of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously your life is made up a lot more of medical school. Yeah. What are the other passions that you get to pursue when you do have the opportunity to pause and take a break? So um, my one of my biggest passions would have to be yoga. Um, I've done yoga for probably like 13 years or so, maybe more than that. Um, I love it so much. It's, it's an incredible, I feel like it's one of those things that if you look at the history of yoga and the philosophy of yoga, it's so simple, like what the teachings are, and they're so profound in all their simplicity. And I've really learned to sort of humble my ego because for a good period of time while I was in my yoga practice, I'd say probably around 2013 to 14, I became all about like this trend of yoga and like, oh, I must look this certain way and have this certain body. And and now that I'm like a little bit older than that, I'm like, no, this is about me. This is a practice that's for me and how I live my life and and being able to take on those teaching and the, those teachings and those mantras and carrying them through day to day, even if I don't get to have an actual practice of yoga. Um, So it's very, very central to who I am as a person. And I really, really love that that's a part of my life and I want it to be an even bigger part. So today was in fact a reminder of that to me, like you can totally do this. You can carve out the time to to incorporate a little yoga sequence at home. and then outside of that, I love camping and going on adventures with you and with my husband and with our group of friends. We go, we have such a good time and it's just so lovely to unplug mm-hmm. and just be out in nature and just get grounded and regroup. I think those are some of my favorite times that we have together when we're all just kind of out there and we don't necessarily have a plan when we go. We just kind of, we wing it and it's fun. And I don't know, it's like, it's a very liberating experience. And every time he talks about us doing something like that, I'm like, yes, we must do it. We (laughs) must go. I will make it work. Um, So I really love that. And definitely spending time with my family. I see my mother like once a week for sure. Um, she, she can't really go much longer than that without seeing me. So, and she's an amazing cook. She is. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had some of her food today and it was delightful. And so, yeah, just, just things like that. And, Getting together with a friend to have a cup of coffee or go on a beach walk, just things that are I'd ordinarily underestimate. They can really make 
make my day. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What are some things that you're proud of having achieved? Just in general? Yeah. Um, I think making it this far in med school, because like I said, I'll share very candidly, there's been so many moments that I've been like, medicine's not for me. Like, I'm just not, I'm not built for it. I don't have the thick skin that you need to have for it. Um, I'm too much of an empath and I'm not smart enough. And I've had so many thoughts of this is not, I don't know if this is worth it. And I know my husband's had those thoughts too, because he's seen me go through the ups and downs, but I'm so happy I stuck through it. Um, and got into clinicals and got to deal with patients and got to to really get to psych to where I'm like, okay, I'm looking at these options that I could explore for myself. Um, I, I'm glad I didn't give up midway through because there's moments where I definitely gave it a lot of consideration. Um, so I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of myself for knowing when to pull out of something that wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Um which was grad school and it was wonderful. And people thought I was crazy for doing it, but I was like, you know what? Like people switch careers like in their forties and fifties and they're happy, right? you know, (laughs) and it must be scary, but they do it, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so I'm going to do it. And if let's say down the line, I decided to do it, I'll do it again. Um, and know that it's possible to say no to something that doesn't work for you anymore. Even if it has all these wonderful aspects, it doesn't have to be the be all end all. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm proud of myself for doing that at a time where everyone thought I was crazy for going into debt when I was already making an income and might have potentially had a postdoc lined up and and certain things that I wouldn't have had promised to me otherwise. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think what's so admirable of who you are is you really are rooted in a lot of the traditions that you've gotten from your family and your commitment to excellence and, you know, being a type A personality like some of us in the room may also be. Um, But I think you do such a beautiful job of seeing what is the traditional black and white options and how things should be done and what you do next. At the same time being like, well, but what's, let me just look over here. And that to me shows up in what you said about how you've, you've changed your path from a career perspective and learning perspective. It shows up to me in, you know, how you and Dale ended up together. Yeah. It shows up to me in being so disciplined and dedicated and focused and at the same time being a yes to going to Burning Man. Yeah. Like there's this, this really interesting level of, um, like, I was talking at a, a previous uh, podcast about how my favorite quote is, let your mind be focused and your spirit free. Mm. And I think something that we we share is that really living our lives that way. Yes. Like how can we be dedicated and focused and committed and at the same time be open? Yes. And kind of how we started talking before we went on, went live about things change all the time. Yeah. Like we're always learning new information. We're always having our, um, what we think is a fixed a way of being changed. And I think you do that so fluidly. So thank you. I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, like we, we ask everybody on the Powerful Ladies where they put themselves on the scale. Zero being average everyday human and 10 being the most powerful lady possible. <sighs> where do you put yourself today and where do you put yourself on average? Well, um, so what was, so there was the average lady and then the most powerful lady. Yeah, average, average everyday human. Okay, average and everyday human. The epitome of powerful lady. Okay, oh, I aspire to be that. Absolutely, I think I aspire to be that all the time, even at my worst, where I don't want to get out of bed. Um, 
And today, today I would put myself on somewhere between those two. I feel like there's a lot for me to learn and there's a lot for me to build on and improve. And I feel like there's some things that I do well and, mm-hmm. and hope to inspire in other people as well. So, and also just, I think that points to something really important that I've learned in this process is just staying very humble and keeping a level of humility and being able to check yourself and being able to call yourself out on your stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and I try to do that a lot. Like, okay, I didn't know that. Okay, (laughs) great. Like that is noted, you know, and I don't know everything and Mm -hmm. I can learn from people, Mm -hmm. um, anybody, be it like a patient, be it a friend, whoever, like even my younger brother, who I swear is older than me in so many ways. Um, and just consistently working towards like, I don't know all the answers and I can absolutely be in pursuit of the things that I want to learn about, but I can also stay really open to, you know, to, to what other people have to share. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I wish I saw more of in medicine and I hope to inspire other women to, to view the same way. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, this has been so much fun to hang out and talk to you. Likewise. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't get to cover that you want to talk about or share with the audience? Yeah. So I think one thing that I'd love to share is... I spoke very candidly about how medicine, my experience in medicine and medical school has been, has been full of its ups and downs, and it's definitely not been short of any struggle. Um, And I I say that because I definitely depict it perhaps on social media and even when I meet new people as though like, oh no, this is totally fine. I've got it all together at all times, 100%. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this is just me on a whatever day. But the reality is that no, I don't have it together all the time and you don't have to. And that's the beauty in it. And if this is a field that somebody wants to go into, they absolutely, I would highly recommend that they do that and go into it knowing that it won't be short of struggle. Um, but that it'll absolutely be worth it. Um, and to also really, really prioritize your well-being in a way that I didn't do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have done so much better um, in terms of my life in general and finding that balance, as you mentioned, and that freedom mm-hmm. um, had I actually prioritized my health and well-being first. So it's a great career. I highly recommend it. And I just I want everyone to know that even though I talked about how difficult it is, there's so much to be gleaned from it, and it's very, very rewarding at the end of the day. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And then I'm sure um, once everyone sees your photo on our website, they're going to ask, is is it required to go into derm? Like, do you have to have glowing, amazing skin? (laughs) So I'm sure people will ask about that after. Thank you. Um, But thank you so much for your time today, for sharing who you are, being an amazing friend, and being a yes to Powerful Ladies. Thank you. Thank you to both of you and and everybody with Powerful Ladies. And thank you for what you've, you've been doing, Kara, and for being such a good friend. And I'm just grateful to be here with you guys. Thank you. Marjan is a gift. I wish all doctors and medical professionals were open to the curiosity, learning, and to be evolving with their perspectives, based on science, of course, as Marjan is. I'm excited to see where she goes and what her year in dermatology research brings to her. And I'm even more excited for when she's out and practicing. Since we recorded this episode, there have been so many changes across the world due to COVID-19. Marjan's classes and rotations have gone online. And just this week, they announced that all medical students are invited to join the California Health Corps. Marjan says to visit the CDC website for the latest information. It can also visit her Facebook page, Marjan Kush, for the latest updates she's sharing as well. 
To connect, support, and follow Marjan, you can also follow her on Instagram at medical underscore student underscore yogi. And we have her link to her LinkedIn account in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed this new episode of the Powerful Ladies podcast. If you're a yes to Powerful Ladies and want to support us, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a powerful review on Apple Podcasts. You can also be one of our Patreons for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com forward slash powerful ladies. We can get access to exclusive content that we're making just for you. Follow us on Instagram at powerful ladies and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. And of course, visit our website, thepowerfulladies.com for all the latest news, details, and updates. I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. This episode of The Powerful Ladies is made possible by our Patreon subscribers. Did you know that for as little as $1 a month, you can support this podcast? You can send us love, tell us that you want more. You can support all of our events and all that we're doing in the world to fulfill on our full circle of empowerment. It starts at $1 a month. That's less than the coffee you're drinking a day. And there's so many more levels that give you more bonuses and fun things and behind the scenes information. So go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash powerful ladies and support us today. Thank you in advance.